when the writing was on the wall that we couldn't go back live this fall for our festival programming, we decided to put the whole festival on the air November 5th through 15th. Welcome to St. Louis In Tune. I'm your host, Arnold Stricker, along with co-host Mark Langston. St. Louis In Tune focuses on issues that impact and connect the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. The Tennessee Williams Festival St. Louis was established back in 2016, and they have had some developments, and they've modified their program due to COVID-19. Carrie Houck, who's the award-winning producer, casting director, actor, and educator, is on the line with us. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, Carrie. Hi, Arnold. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the lovely intro. It's great to have you back again, and kudos to you guys because, my gosh, last Last year and the year before, and with such a, a brand new company, you know, you were named the startup art startup of the year for 2019 by the Arts and Education Council. 2018 Streetcar Named Desire, 11 record nominations, and you won seven. 2019 yeah. festival received seven St. Louis Theater Award Circle nominations. It's unbelievable the dynamic uh, quality that's being produced. Talk about that a little bit with us. Well, you know, I say, why do this unless it's going to be top-notch? We work really hard to bring the highest quality of art to our stage stages when we're producing live. And, um, you know, sadly, we were about to go into rehearsal for our fifth annual festival um, when we had to shut down. In fact, I remember the day I knew when our costume designer was afraid to measure our actors in March. So uh-huh. I made a decision to postpone, we thought, uh, to the fall. But as you know, it's still not safe to go back to the theater. So what we did through the summer, Arnold, was create uh, radio shows. We started with a series of one acts called Something Spoken, Tennessee Williams on the air, and uh, he has a wonderful canon of just gorgeous one-act plays, dozens and dozens. Some haven't even been published yet. So um, we we hired really good actors, directors, and fully produced. These were not readings. These were fully produced radio theater. Um, and the response was so good that when the writing was on the wall that we couldn't go back live this fall for our festival programming, we decided to put the whole festival on the air November 5th through 15th. That's, that's cool. And that's we're going gonna... now with full-length full length plays this time. So, yeah. And that's going to air really on Classic 107.3. Not, not yep. a sister station, and... a competitor, but that's okay. We, we want to <laughs> broadcast, uh, you know, what's happening in St. Louis and what you've done with that. And that particular festival, give us give us a little bit more information about uh, that November fifth to the fifteenth. Well, we decided when when I moved the festival to the fall, I decided we would not do what was initially programmed for this past May because the the plays were too big; they had too many actors in them, and I just I didn't know what the the COVID nineteen situation was going to be like this fall. Mm-hmm. So, luckily, because of that. I had smaller shows. They're not smaller shows. They just don't have many actors in them. So we were able to 
um, rehearse on Zoom and record them safely uh, with separate studios for each actor. So we are headlining with, I think, Tennessee Williams' greatest play, The Glass Menagerie. Yes. And the theme of the festival this year is on avant, which means moving forward. And I think Williams did this in his life through, you know, a number of personal challenges that he faced and career challenges. And we're sort of depicting this time in his career uh, when he did need to have resiliency through fragility. So that's sort of the theme, staying resilient through a fragile time in our lives as well. So we're doing The Glass Menagerie as our headliner. Um, We're doing a new play by a playwright named Michael Amen, and I had seen this play last winter in Key West called Glass, and it takes place the opening night of The Glass Menagerie in Lorette Taylor's dressing room with Tennessee Williams, who is at at that time not a famous playwright. Um, So those are our two full-length plays. We're doing two one-man shows by Jeremy Lawrence, that are, again, connected back to the, the, the main stage material. One is Tom and Rose, about Tennessee Williams and his sister, Rose Williams. And the other one is The Man in the Overstuffed Chair, which is about Tennessee's very t- difficult relationship with his father, Cornelius. So Jeremy Lawrence is an amazing Tennessee Williams interpreter. Um, boy, we've had him. This will be his third outing with us. Um, his one-man shows are like no other, and he really is the most renowned Tennessee Williams interpreter probably in the world. We're going to have commentary after each uh, piece. Uh, Ken Page, uh, famous Broadway actor who we're lucky enough to have in St. Louis now, will be opening the festival with a beautiful essay called Something Wild about Tennessee's time in St. Louis with a theater company called The Mummers. Hmm. And then Ken will serve as a host for the two week, the eleven day festival. So you're, you're we're really ha- excited. We're doing on 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 the web. We will have four amazing panels with scholars from all over the country, um, and that will be posted on our website. We will do the bus tour virtually on our website this year. Good, good. Which and those uh, every offering is free, might I add. This is totally free programming. The festival is sponsored by Emerson, generously sponsored by Emerson this year, and um, I think they respected the fact that we're moving forward through a time of fragility. <laughs> well, that really speaks. Yeah, yeah, that that really speaks well of how you have laid a foundation and really brought in some dynamic uh, actors and chosen and selected the the plays that you wanted to do, which really are hitting home, especially here in St. Louis, because of that connection that he had with St. Louis. And, you know, the, yeah, um, yeah. the glass was really fascinating to me because it's, it's really a, a different spin on the glass menagerie from a, from a whole different perspective. But I, I'm, I'm just really glad that you have scheduled this like this. Now, what was the challenge in doing a radio show, essentially, of these plays? Well, I'm going to tell you that I've really loved working in the medium. I spent some time on the radio as a young actor, and 
it did a lot of voiceover work as well. And I love acting through the voice. I will tell you, though, that the, the challenges have been this. Um, most of the actors that we've used, and boy, do we have an amazing lineup, but and some of them were working with us this summer on the One Act series, and, and you have one of my favorites coming up after me today, Elizabeth Teeter, yes. who we were so lucky to get. Um, a, a lot of the actors had not acted with their voice only, so it, it, it was challenging in rehearsal for them to really understand uh, those who hadn't done it before that, you know, we have to take away the visual. We have to... We have to create all of this through the voice. It's like, you know, when I used to teach voiceover acting, I'd say it's like it's like painting with your voice, really. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, now, now we all have this new skill set, and it's just, I would listen to the rehearsals from another room. I didn't even want to see their faces. We did our rehearsals in Zoom rooms um, and usually turned off the cameras. So we would just hear and imagine what the audience would be hearing. But it's been really fun going through the editing process, and we have, oh boy, our director for the Glass Menagerie, Brian Holfeld, has composed original music that wow. is just gorgeous. That's great. Um, but also just, you know, adding in the sound effects and whatnot, you know, these are, these are fully produced. They are not readings. I think everyone's a little bit... Um, uh, have Zoom fatigue from, you know, <laughs> seeing a lot of readings on, on right. their computer screens over the last seven months. So uh, hopefully the audiences will find these as entertaining as they did the, the one acts. Well, you, you've taken uh, the industry back 80, 90, 100 years to go back to original broadcasts <laughs> like that. And, and uh, I, I thank you for doing that because it does bring a different uh, twist to how performances have to be made and also listening, frankly. Right. And, you know, some of our, um, some of our audience members have written to me that they're doing listening parties where they're all listening together. They're in a Zoom room listening to the shows together, and then they have discussions afterward. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, Arnold, I think it's going to be a minute before we come back live. So I think... Uh, we will probably continue with something spoken Tennessee Williams on the air even beyond uh, twenty twenty until we can safely return to the theater. Well, and you may have sparked a new kind of venue not only for the industry but for the Tennessee Williams uh, Festival St. Louis. And who knows that you may continue that a little bit even after uh, COVID yeah. goes away. Well, exactly, because I do think people are, are enjoying them, and I think that, um, you know, sometimes everything old can be new again, and it's, I think the younger actors are really enjoying this process, because, of course, they wouldn't remember radio plays. I'm, I'm pretty old, but I don't really remember listening to radio plays. I think the TV was pretty well established by the time I, I was uh, coherent, so... Um, it's been fun for all of us, really. And, uh, you know, one day I'd like to do them live in front of an audience with Foley artists doing the sound effects live. I think that would be really fun. That would be. That would be. And, Carrie, give us, again, yeah. the uh, the festival dates. November 5th through 15th. Uh, the schedule is posted on our website. 
And we, in the next weeks, will be posting more and more information concerning the festival and the virtual tour and the panels. But it is our full roster that we would be doing had we gotten to go live this year. And then, you know, let's just hope that by next May, which are our traditional uh, festival dates, that we will be back in the theater. But again, if not, we are... We are breaking through the glass. We are, <laughs> yeah. we are moving forward. That sounds great. On Avant. That sounds great. And the website, folks, is twstl.org, twstl.org. Carrie Hauck, thank you for joining us today on St. Louis in Tune. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Arnold. I really appreciate it. So in the Tennessee Williams Festival, St. Louis, on Avant, which is going to be held November 5th, through the 15th of 2020, the Glass Menagerie will be one of the performances, and one of the actors or actresses, however you want to say it, is a local product. She lives in Webster Groves. She has been on Broadway, off-Broadway, and performed, including Betty in the 2016 Tony-nominated revival of The Crucible. She performed with Helen Mirren. She has been in a variety of performances including the muni the rep the opera theater st louis tennessee williams festival much more tv short film elizabeth teeter welcome to st louis in tune hi thank you for having me now when did you get the bug now i know it's kind of a family thing but when did it really start to you know blossom up in you and kind of vibrate that man i would really like to pursue this avenue Well, I think um, both my parents are involved in the arts, and I always preface this by saying they did not push me into any of it. They are not your typical stage parent. Um, I think I'd always just been been fascinated in imagination games when I was young, and um, I would beg my dad performances. Um, I remember, you know, when I was about five, like turning next to him at intermission and asking him, like, I think something bad's going to happen next. I was just like, I always wanted to keep going back. Um, and finally I, I begged my parents when I was seven years old to let me audition, um, for the Muni and, you know, they were a bit apprehensive about it. Um, they said, you know, if you don't get in, it's okay. We'll put you in summer camp. Um, just, you know, if that's what you really want to do. Um, and I was really lucky that I actually, I got in that year um, and I also got a role, which, which is, um, incredibly lucky. Um, wow. and it just sort of took off from there. I started, I started auditioning more in New York. Uh, I got an agency in New York. Um, and I mean, the rest is sort of history. Um, I went to public school, so I had that normal school experience, which I'm really grateful for. Um, and I'm super grateful for my family because, Um, they've kept me grounded in all of this, uh, for not being stage parents, for having my siblings. I wasn't completely enwrapped in that, uh, that crazy world, which I'm super grateful for. Because it has a life of its own, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, it does. Especially as a kid, it can be overwhelming and flashy, but, um, but I, I, I'm more of an introverted person and sort of stayed away from that. and, And my family definitely helped. And I think that's, also really helped in where I am today and what I've been able to do. Now, what was that first role that you had at the Muni? I was in Meet Me in St. Louis, which is very fitting. (laughs) I played uh, Tootie, if anyone's familiar, the youngest daughter. 
Um, and then I, I sort of went on to do various roles at the Muni, followed by uh, the rep. And then eventually I booked my first Broadway show, Mary Poppins, in New York, which was just one of the best years of my life because uh, my whole family sort of picked up and we moved to New York for that year, which is just an experience in itself. I was We were all just exposed to the culture and um, it's very different than here. I love both places, but um, that experience was one of like the turning points in my life that I look back on with such amazing memories on stage and off. Now, there, it would be a challenge to be able to, now you correct me if I'm wrong, be able to not only act, but also sing, also dance. So do you do all three? <laughs> and how did you get the technical capabilities? Obviously, both of your parents are involved in the arts, but yeah. th- did that involve dance lessons, voice lessons, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um Well, dancing, I was trained in classical ballet um, since I was about six or seven. Um, I actually trained at Coca for a while um, here in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was was sort of mostly training in ballet, which I am so thankful for because I feel like ballet is sort of a root of a lot of technical experience. And and then once I started going to New York, I uh, I started taking at at Steps on Broadway, which is a sort of well-known... Uh, dance studio where I sort of branched out into other styles um, and actually have been taking still online classes over uh, quarantine, which Mm -hmm. is great. But um, in terms of vocal technique, I've had various teachers. Um, I work with Lisa Campbell Albert, who actually teaches at Webster University, and she's wonderful. Um, And then I've actually never officially taken acting classes. Um, I've taken workshops here and there, but um, I sort of like to credit a lot of my experience or a lot of my uh, technique by experience. I think just constantly reading and also listening and watching the people around me um, has been incredibly helpful. I mean, you know, I, I learned a lot by watching people like Helen, Helen Murin, um, and, and Ben Wishaw and other um, amazing people that I've had the opportunity to work with, um, which is just sort of like a university of its own. Right, right. You're, you're with some high-quality uh, people who have who have been in the industry and are, are very uh, – uh, well, well known and recognized for their talent. What, what is um, something that you think back stands out over your career so far? And I'm not going to include the glass menagerie because we're going to talk about that in a minute. But yeah. What, what has stood okay. out to you as, as, as a highlight of your, of your career? Oh gosh. Um, well, so many, so many things. So many things. I, I'm so lucky that I could talk about. Um, to pick a few short ones or condensed is, um, I mean, working with someone like Helen Mirren was, you know, irreplaceable, that experience. Um, I think she really taught me um, how important it is not only to bring yourself um, to the stage, but off stage, how to lead a show with grace and how to be humble and polite. You know, she's this major well-known actress and yet she treated everyone so equally and was so respectful and kind and I think that's just an amazing lesson um 
that, that I learned from her. And um, I'm so grateful for that. Uh, but in terms of, I guess, show, uh, last year I performed in The Secret Life of Bees off-Broadway um, at Atlantic Theater Company. Um, it was a musical premiere, which was my first experience um, with something like that. So I had never been involved with something so new. Um, they were, it was based off a book, which I'm a big book nerd. So, uh, it was one of my favorites and to be able to adapt a character that I loved so much onto state, onto the stage was just incredible. And, you know, the creative team was handing me new songs every day, new scenes every day, asking for my input. Um, and it really just felt so special to be a collaborative part of that process and really feel like I had a say in how the character was sort of being created, which was just amazing. That sounds like a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but it sounds like you have a whole lifetime yeah. ahead of you, so you probably have several more of those. <laughs> I hope so. So how does, as you look at, at the Tennessee Williams Festival, St. Louis, and the Glass Menagerie, which you're going to be performing yeah. in, how difficult, because Carrie talked about this earlier, how difficult is the transition from performing on stage in front of people and yeah. relying on other things to provide a visual mm -hmm. to transition to just a radio program? And you're having now to create this image in people's minds and also mm -hmm. sound effects and things like that. How difficult was that transition for you? Um, it was definitely, it was definitely an adjustment. Um, I, I consider myself a very, uh, physical actor. Like I, I carry a lot of my emotion, um, physically and through my expressions. I think that's just sort of a way I connect to the character. Um, and, and I, when you listen to the play or if anyone's familiar with the play, Laura, the character that I, that I play is, uh, a very, um, anxious person. Um, she has a physical disability and sort of a social disability um, that makes her very nervous all the time. And normally that's something that is a lot easier to convey physically on stage, especially when there are scenes where I don't say much, but, um, but Laura is present. And in talking with Brian is we're really trying, to, we really tried to create a sense of uh, letting people know that she's there, even if we can't see her or hear her at a certain moment. And so I think um, just working on how to translate her emotions and feelings just through her voice and, and convey that anxiety was, was definitely a process. But um, I think the main thing, and I guess benefit in a way, is you, you really have to listen which um, sometimes as you get further into a process, especially on stage with, you know, costumes, lighting, um, staging, or props or whatever, um, sometimes, sometimes you need a little reminder to really listen to what the other people are saying. And, and when you don't have all those things, um, it's really crucial to just tune in and, and, and listen to your partner. What are they saying? Or um, think about what you're saying. And so in that sense, it made it a little challenging, but also... I think was beneficial and really special in a way. And I think I'm, I'm so grateful for that experience. Um, and I think it's going to turn out 
really great. I can't wait to hear it. That's an interesting observation because I can see that doing the radio productions of these might make you even better on the stage based upon what you just said oh, about, about listening. That, that's, that's a very, very mm-hmm. interesting observation. My, my next question, Elizabeth, relates to the practicing of all of this. Obviously, you guys did this on Zoom. You were interacting like mm-hmm. that. And then uh, Carrie was talking about how you each got into the studio in a separate room. Uh, I, I'm presuming mm-hmm. that you were all together when you were doing this. But how was the yeah. talk us, take us through the rehearsal of that because that's much different than a rehearsal of a stage play. Yeah, rehearsing um, for a few weeks, almost every night um, over Zoom. So it was, you know, it was different. You can't really look someone directly in the eye. Um, there are technical difficulties. Sometimes there are lags. Sometimes people's Wi-Fi cut out. Um, and, you know, we just had to wait for them to come back on. Um, but it actually was not as difficult as I thought it would be. Um, it, technology is sort of amazing how once we got into the play, once we were reading it, um, it really it really felt like we were in the same room in a way. Um, and, yeah, so we rehearsed over Zoom and then... You know, it was sort of funny the first time that we uh, got to the recording studio. We recorded in two days, and it was, it was like, nice to meet you, question mark, because we had all sort of met over Zoom. Of course, I knew Carrie beforehand, but, um, you know, now we were in person in masks and distance, and it sort of felt like a new meeting, and, uh, and it was really special. We were all just so excited to to be there together even though we were we ended up recording in separate rooms uh it it took time to warm up a bit because you got to get used to having the headphones in um being close to the microphone and also just the excitement of you know hi you know i I play your sister (laughs) like let's record a show um but yeah we recorded within two days and it was it was done really fast. We sort of uh, broke down at each scene and and did separate takes of each beat in the scenes, and and uh, we got through the whole show that way. So yeah, that's that's great. You, we've been talking to Elizabeth Teeter. She's going to be uh, performing in the Tennessee Williams Festival, St. Louis, in the production of the Glass Menagerie, and that will take place November fifth through the 15th and for more information you can go to twstl.org twstl.org elizabeth thank you very much for talking to us on st louis in tune today greatly appreciate it have a good one you too bye-bye thank you for listening if you enjoyed what you heard please take time to like and share this and other episodes of st louis in tune that can be found on soundcloud and apple podcast st louis in tune is produced in cooperation with kwrh 92.9 fm and motif media group Thank you for listening. I'm Arnold Strickland.